welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. It's great to be back. Look, I can't even see the bait. I see Janelle there, and I'm and there. I see the, the the snippets of a new church member, little Archie. Wow, it's great to be back. I've been away for too long. Well, not too long, but a few weeks, and uh, had a great time. Different things, different places. Uh, Tasmania was fantastic. Um, no, we didn't go to Tasmania. Was that Eleanor, apparently? Our daughter didn't even know where we were. We drove south. We didn't make it as far as Tasmania. Because um, even Tony, Tony said yesterday, talk about serving the Lord and, you know, we're so blessed. Ruth saying, oh, you can give money, but you can build. You know, Tony's been changing a lot of lights around the place. And then I commented. I just, this is the classic thing. You make a casual comment. Oh, they're great. He said, yeah, yeah, they were like one-fifth of the power. I said, oh, I need to do that in my house. Great. Next thing, Tony rings me up tomorrow. You home? Yep, I'm coming over. And he just comes and spends hours redoing all my down lights around the place. And uh, so, such a blessing. Um, but yeah, Tony said, now listen, when you go to Tasmania next time, you should visit Nick and Val, you know? I'm like, we didn't go to Tasmania. <laughs> so he'd obviously heard the rumour as well. Um, I did go to China. That was random. I found this really cheap book, this cheap tour some while ago. And... Uh, I said, look, babe, do you want to go? And she saw the price of the tour and did some calculations and said, no, because she thought the accommodation must be really dodgy. Uh, it was really cheap. But I've always had a heart for China. My step-grandfather was Chinese. This is sort of a little family aside that I, I always, you know, was close to him and prayed for China. And So Bethany was up for it. She thought, yeah, I'll go. And the accommodation wasn't too divey at all. Uh, it's all subsidised by the government-owned factories. They want you to visit and buy all their silk and jade. And that's another story. But anyway, we had a great time zipping around there and praying and just, you know, because it was Tiananmen Square's anniversary the day before I was in Tiananmen Square and just praying about the whole, you know, deal and the, and the gospel. And ah, so there's a billion people there. God obviously has a plan and they're the fastest growing church in the world. They may end up being the biggest Christian nation within the next couple of decades because it's all underground. It's persecuted heavily. The human rights is terrible, uh, even though their economy is booming and Western investment and all that. But we must pray for people and, uh, and it, it's good to you know, feel stretched and called. And, and yet at the same time, you feel a heart for your local area. And here I am back with you guys and feel a heart for the Central Coast and for, for what God's doing here in us and through us. And uh, so uh, I want you to turn your Bible. Um, we're going to look at the book of Haggai. Haggai is, of course, one of the minor prophets. Such an unfortunate name. Um, it's like didn't make the team, you know. Oh, well, in the B team. <laughs> um, Haggai and the other 11 loser minor prophets. No, they're only minor prophets because they, they didn't make the cut. The, the big five are just because they wrote more. <laughs> That's all it is. The major prophets are the big books and the 12 minor prophets are the smaller ones. And uh, Haggai's uh, only actually got two chapters, but they pack a punch in those two little chapters. Um, 
Now, of course, Haggai prophesied. I'll show you a timeline, just a reminder. It's a very simple, kind of cute Bible history timeline. Um, there's creation, the bearded, there's Simon Harrison. Uh, the, you're a patriarch, mate. Uh, and then, you know, Moses took the people out and then they, you know, went into the land and then this series of judges and they had kingdoms, you know, Saul and David and the rest of them. And then they, the kings just were hopeless, didn't follow God properly. He warned them and then he said, pack your bags. Look at that little blue one. Off you go. So they're taken to exile. But then look at the balloon, the return. That's the period we're talking about. Um, and then there's 400 years, the silent years before the New Testament. Um, so where that balloon is, that's the, that's the period of time they'd been in captivity and Haggai prophesies in this time when they start to come back. And um, in fact, you can read in um, the book of Ezra, the, the time frame and what, what they did, what, what happened, uh, which was, you know, this return from exile of God's chosen people back into the, the promised land to re-establish the temple um, and to re-establish themselves. And it, it happened over about 100 years in three stages. And Haggai, like Ezra, were part of the, the first stage. And um, again, when you read in the book of Ezra, which we're not going to, you can see that they, they started coming back in 538 BC. They spent about a year uh, settling in and getting themselves established. And then they started rebuilding the temple, which is obviously on their heart. God's calling on them as his people to have this place of worship re-established. And Zerubbabel was the leader. You might have heard that name uh, that God called. And uh, Ezra tells us that the enthusiasm was so high that every single person was involved in rebuilding the temple. But they faced opposition. Complaints were made uh, about them and the work was stopped. And the people lost the passion for restoring God's house. And instead, they just got on with their lives. They got on uh, and focused on their own houses, their own businesses, just their own lifestyle. And this goes on not just for a few months, not just for a year, but for 17 years. They're in the land and the temple isn't finished. And then one day in 530 BC, this is 18 years now after they started to return, there's this uh, prophet, or 520 I should say, did I say 530? 520, so it's 18 years after they came. This uh, prophet named Haggai stands up with an unction, a message from God. And this is what he said. If we read Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, it says, On August the 29th, the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, he's the governor, being established there, and to Jeshua, his sidekick, the high priest. And this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot, can, cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it 
and be honoured, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. When you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called now for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all the other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything. You've worked so hard to get. Like I said, he packs a punch in two little chapters. So we have a problem. Actually, we have two problems. The first problem is that the people are not as prosperous as they should be. Because notice verse 6, you've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Have you ever had that feeling? Have you had that experience? That's not the blessing of God. That is not God's will for His people. But the second problem is that the people don't recognise the real reason for the first problem. They're probably thinking, well, yeah, things aren't working out. We just need to work harder. But they didn't realise that they had another more important problem that was affecting their prosperity. And you know, the first part of, before we talk about that problem, let's just remember that Problem solving involves identifying the problem correctly, diagnosing it, if you like. And, and it's easy to misdiagnose a problem, especially if you just do it by yourself. It's tempting also to ignore a problem, to um, you know, just hope that it goes away. And, uh, and yet, you, know, you just want things to change by themselves, but it, it doesn't help. It doesn't really solve the issue. Uh, you've got to figure out, you know, what is going on? What is the cause of this problem? Now, I said I had a story about Simon because I was reminded when I came in, uh, you know, you miss people and you see, I see Frosty here and Simon. And I was reminded of um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, when I went out to Gunnedah motorbike riding with these guys and Caleb and on a farm, which, and I normally ride on tracks and trails where there's some you know, line to follow. We're belting around on this farm that Simon goes to and, um, and I hit an unseen rock. And I don't maybe I've told you this story. I'm not sure. But anyway, I hit a rock and I go flying over the handlebars into a tree and I'm in a lot of pain. Like, I don't remember being in so much pain. I just smacked all the side of my... I kind of wake up and I'm in so much pain and then... <laughs> I look up, the guys are all gathering around and there's Simon Compassionate Harrison um, just looking on and, I'll, and I, my first memory as I'm in this daze and haze of pain is, oh, we're not going to have to do an Ambo run, are we? <laughs> and I thought, and of course the pride kicks in, I go, no, 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 of course not. Because he's obviously had to do one before and it was very inconvenient, you know. <laughs> Some loser broke a leg or something, you know, and, and couldn't fix it himself, you know, couldn't weld the leg together, you know, like Simon would, and he's probably had to do an Ambo run, and, and Gunny's a long way away, and oh, the whole afternoon, you know, it'd be, just be ruined. So, so, so and, and, what's that? And he put the rock back. 
for the next guy. And I'm writhing around here. So, of course, pride kicks in and I go, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, leg, I sore all down this side and all up, I sore everywhere. And then, uh, anyway, we sort of, we get back and, and they, they bundled me into the car and we, we had to cut the trip short and we drove home. And uh, I can remember being in pain just going over little bumps on the road in the car, you know, and... Uh, and then we get home and, of course, then I've got to try and pretend I'm not really hurt because if Ruth equates motorcycling with injuries, it can cause problems. So you never get injured. Even if you do, you're, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know. So I kind of stumble into the house. Hi, babe. What, everything right? Yeah, fine. You know. And I go to bed. I shower up, you know, and I go to bed. And Ruth says that she woke up in the middle of the night hearing a strange gurgling sound. And she realised it was coming from, from this part of my body. And she heard, you know, from the lung area, bubbles and, and all sorts of weird noises. In the morning, she said, babe, there's something going on. No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. You know, she said, go to the hospital. And so I dutifully went to the hospital. But there was a queue. So I don't like waiting. So I came home again, and, um, and then I got in trouble. She's like, come on, you know, there's something really going on. I think we went another night, you know, gurgling, and then she rang my brother, who's medical, and he said, he's got to go to the hospital. So I went to a medical centre where I got in, and, and sure enough, the doctor did find something wrong. You know, I had water in my lungs and air out of my lungs and broken ribs, and, you know, and, uh, and, the, 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 and, and then he gave me some, you know, treatment, and I did what he said, and I'm fine, you know. So the point is... Um, apart from the fact that Simon's so compassionate and I just like ribbing in, just, he's, he's up for it though, you can handle it, you know. Um, he, he, actually, he's, he's not at all apologetic, he's just smiling there and going, yeah, I've got, got nothing to apologise for. <laughs> Compassion's overrated, yeah, less, less time in the saddle <laughs> if you wait around with the ambulance. So, but the, the point I'm making is that's a classic case of problem solving, what not to do and what to do. Ignoring the problem didn't help, but of course getting someone else to help diagnose the problem, like a doctor, can help, even though we don't want to. Uh, you know, and then of course you get an answer. Again, someone else might give you the right answer to solve the problem and then you've got to follow through and the situation improves. And that's exactly what God does for us. He helps us find out problems in our lives that we sometimes would ignore. Sin's one of those uh, and that's why the Holy Spirit convicts, not condemns, but convicts, makes us aware of what we've done wrong, where we're missing it and the need for a saviour. Oh, and that's where Jesus comes in. And so we have this incredible assistance, this help, this provision of salvation that Jesus made available for us. And so we step into that. But then as we follow the Lord through his word, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, there's issues that come up in our life and he can help us find out what the real problem is and what the answer is. So that's good news. And that's back to Haggai and co, exactly what's going on here. What was the main problem that they didn't recognise? It wasn't that they just weren't blessed. It wasn't that they weren't sort of working hard with nothing to show for it. That was the superficial problem that they were experiencing and aware of themselves. But the real problem, the real reason for their lack of prosperity was that they had forgotten and forsaken God's house. They had started out with passion and, and uh, uh, you know, good intentions to rebuild the temple. But when things got tough... They'd given up. 
and they just didn't realise that this was a problem, to forget God's house, to have just given up on the restoration of the temple. They were just putting it off, saying, oh, it's not the right time. That's what, you know, God accuses them of saying, just procrastinating. Oh, it's not the right time. And of course, that's, people say, oh, I don't, I'm not ready to make that decision. But if you make a decision not to make a decision, that's in itself a decision. And, you know, procrastination is a decision itself to just not do what you should do. And so through this prophecy, God is saying, listen, that is not good enough. And he's getting them to face up to the issue. He's diagnosing the problem for them correctly. He's saying the problem of your lack of prosperity is the result of a bigger problem that you're not making my house your number one priority. And then God's helping them to see not just what the problem is, but what the answer is. And so the answer from God is effectively, look, you need to prioritise my house so then the blessing will fall on your house. And look at verse 8 again. He says, do this, go up into the hills Bring down the timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and I'll be honoured, says the Lord. So, and notice, you know, God's always got an answer, but the answer isn't always what we would necessarily come up with. Because they're probably thinking, well, hang on, making an effort and a sacrifice and giving money and getting the timber and all that to the rebuilding of the temple isn't going to bless us, surely. But this is God's economy. This is God's kingdom principle working, that he will always find a way to bless people who are living to bless him and his house. And, uh, and in fact, when the people give to a cause bigger than themselves, all the time we see, you know, living beyond just focusing on ourselves, uh, then we get blessed. And, and God, God knows this is good for the people here to prioritise this, to sacrifice, to build his house. He, he doesn't actually need them to go and get the timber. I mean, he could miraculously just snap his finger and say, there's a new temple, worship, come, enjoy, you know. But he knows, he wants the people to be involved because he knows it's good for them. He, it's good for them to be connected and committed to the process of building the house because he knows it's going to be rewarding for them. And that's why Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And so God calls us to be involved materially, financially with things that then take our heart with it. And so, and this principle is not just with finances, but with life energy. And it's not just found in the Bible, it's found all throughout human history that there are great benefits found when people live beyond themselves, beyond just focusing on, on what they think they need. And recently, researchers have really been into this, discovering and commenting on it. Um, you'll be pleased to know that in our time off, I've not just been bludging. I've been to Yale University. Okay, not physically, but I have done a free online course at Yale University that I read about, and it's called The Science of Wellbeing. It's just a short course, and you do it all online, and they're looking at research that helps people, you know, that's looking at how people are finding, trying to figure out how to be happy and what wellbeing's all about. It's interesting to see what they're saying. And, um, and they've got studies that continually show uh, that it's actually better for us to live beyond what our idea is 
of being happy beyond what we want or what we think we need to live a fulfilled life. Uh, there's a study you may have heard about where they got people and it proved that giving money away was actually making them happier than spending it on themselves. And they did this test. They said they got $20 uh, given to all these people and they said, first of all, they asked them to predict what do you think will make you happier if we give you this money and you're going to spend it on yourself or we tell you that you've got to give it to someone else. And people all predicted, 90% of them predicted, well, I'm obviously going to be happy if I spend it on myself. And they got these measures, questions they asked to sort of ascertain exactly how, you know, well-being, how happy someone is. And they found that um, almost, as I said, everyone, everyone expected buying something for themselves would make them happier. But their happiness actually increased when they spent money on others rather than on themselves. And, um, and they tried the... Try the test with different amounts of money, different groups of people. This is in America. And then they took the test to Uganda and they did it with people on a totally different sort of socioeconomic environment and the results were exactly the same. And so they said, look, it's not cultural. It's not based on, sort of, well, only when you've got a certain level of financial stability because 20 bucks is so really, it's not that important. They were doing it with people where it, it made a bigger difference in their life. And really, they were just discovering what Jesus had said all along. It's more blessed to give than to receive, you know. But it's a discovery that a lot of people don't make because our brain keeps telling us, no, 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 no. That might be true for some weird, super generous person. But I, I know I need the 20 bucks. I'm going to be better off with it. And then another academic who's got the classic academic name, Micheli CZ. I-K-Z-S-E-N-T-M-I-H-A-L-Y. I. Anyway, he's got a Polish or, you know, Czech name or something I can't pronounce. He has done a lot of work uh, on what he calls uh, flow. And uh, he's talking about this sweet spot that people could and should aim for in their career where they're challenged, but they're also really rewarded in their career. And he's found that, you know, a lot of people think their work's boring and then they just sort of get stuck in the rut. And others uh, f think that they'll only ever be satisfied when they're doing nothing. But in fact, they get tired, lazy and bored and they're not happy. Uh, and he talks about flow, this challenge and reward that comes with work. He says this, the best moments in our lives are not the passive, receptive, relaxing times. The best moments usually occur when a person's body or mind is stretched to its limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. And that's what God's saying to Haggai and the people. Guys, come on, make an effort, build my house. You oh, look out, don't just focus on your own house. Come on, do something great. Be involved in something bigger than just your own pleasures and comforts. Now, some of you may have heard of Jordan Peterson, and he's written this book, 12 Rules of Living, and uh, that's a good read. Uh, and uh, he, he's, one of his rules is, pursue what is meaningful, not just what is expedient. All right? And so he begins by reflecting on the hum human tendency to just pursue short-term pleasure. Which is, and, and as he puts it, the pleasure of expediency may be fleeting, but it's pleasure nonetheless. And that's, something to, and that's something to stack up against the terror and pain of existence. <laughs> so he's not an 
over-the-top optimistic kind of guy, you know, he's, he's a bit of a philosopher, uh, and he, so he says, look, life is suffering, uh, but he's, he's talking about finding a meaning in life more than just chasing pleasures. Uh, and then he poses this question, whether it's better alternative to living than just seeking pleasure, says there's something more powerful, more compelling than just living for yourself and pursuing your own comfort. He explores the whole Old, Old Testament idea of sacrifice, and he relates that to the idea of delayed gratification. He says that something may be attained in the future by giving up something of value in the present. In other words, if you make a sacrifice now, it can improve your future. And uh, he says that, you know, we can plan and we can calculate to give something up now and it's going to produce a benefit for us and for others in the future. So this is the, the benefit of sacrifice. He says this, there's little difference between sacrifice and work. They are also both uniquely human. Sometimes animals act as if they are working, but they are really only following the dictates of their nature. Beavers build dams. They do so because they are beavers and beavers build dams. They don't think, yeah, but I'd rather be on a beach in Mexico with my girlfriend while they're doing it. <laughs> so it's not sort of a, a choice that they have. It's just their impulse. And then he says, um, but for humans, such sacrifice or work is delay of gratification. But that's a very mundane phrase to describe something of such profound significance. We have learned that behaving properly now in the present, regulating our impulses, considering the plight of others, that can bring rewards in the future, in a time and place that do not yet exist. We inhibit, control and organise our immediate impulses so that we can stop interfering with other people and our future selves. There is a causal relationship between our efforts today and the quality of our tomorrow. In other words, you make a sacrifice today, it'll bring a benefit tomorrow. And not just a sacrifice that we know will benefit me, a sacrifice that gives to the, the big picture, the broader world out there, to other people, to God's call, to God's purposes, which gets back to Haggai and these people. Because the people were challenged by this word to, come on, recognise what's going on here. Don't just keep looking at, you know, your weekly pay packet and how you can line your house with a better seal skin or whatever you're doing on your home improvements, what they did back then. God's saying, come on, build my house. Be, and in doing so, engage your heart with me so that you've got an eternal heavenly perspective on your earthly temporal existence and that is the same calling God has for us and it's often found in little mundane things in the house of God in ministry for God in praying you know there's lots of little decisions that we have and make in our lives but they all add up to a calling that's either for God or for ourselves and uh and so these people recognise, they respond to the word of God. And when you read on in verse 12, it says, Zerubbabel, so many babies, I've probably said this before, but I always think there's a name there. I mean, Archie, good for you, great, good name, you know, but I'm just throwing it out there. Zerubbabel, I think it's got a lovely ring to it. Tim? It's this week, isn't it? It's not too late. Zerubbabel. Zed? Z-man, Bubba. He could be a big guy, you know. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Shealtiel. 
hasn't got the same ring to it. Anyway, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, now there's one, Jehozadak, the high priest and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the word of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord God had sent, the people feared the Lord. That's a good fear, right? Responded, respected God. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message. I am with you, says the Lord. So the people, so the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of the governor, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, the high priest. From the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people, they began rebuilding the house of the Lord, the, the, of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. And the, on the second year of King Darius' reign, uh, September 22nd, this is when it all happened. And so notice that they feared God. They respected what the man of God was saying. They were willing to catch God's perspective on their lives, respond to his call, respond to his command. And of course, that leads to enthusiastically serving God. Because you can serve God and you can just be going through the routine, but your heart's not in it. You can do anything like that. You can go through the motions, you know, with your work and relationships with people. Uh, but Or you can get a spark. And of course, God will always provide that spark if we lean into him. So we need to pray and just be too busy to pray and just go, oh, yeah, I'm serving God, but I haven't got time to talk to him. I just got to... But if we make those times through and he speaks to us, he'll enthuse us, spark that enthusiasm. And away they go and they're giving to building the house of God. And, uh, and notice that the theme here, the main theme is not, again, just how the people can be blessed. But the big picture is to be part of something bigger, to be part of God's glory and see it manifested. And we read about that when we read on. Haggai 2, it says... In October of the same year, the Lord sent another message to Haggai. He said, say this to Zerubbabel, to Jeshua and all the people. Does anyone remember this house, the temple, in its former splendour? How in comparison does it look to you now? Must seem like nothing at all. So it really wasn't. It was, you know, terribly run down. It had been sacked and ransacked. Um, but God is a restorer. Right? So just the way things are doesn't mean that's the way it's always going to be. So he's saying, look, it was great and glorious. Now it's not, but I'm bringing you hope. He says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. Get to work because I'm with you. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. But this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while... I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I'll fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord. And in this place, I'll bring peace. And I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. And so here is God's ways. Things get bad, but he doesn't leave them that way. He always brings people a word of hope, of encouragement. It comes with a challenge. It comes with people having to be involved. So he doesn't just say, hey, everyone, look, I know you have been uh, slack, but I just want to prove how good I am. So I just lie on the beach and watch. Poof, there's a new temple. Poof, here's the glory. Poof, there's the blessing of God on your life. Wow, that's awesome. Oh, I guess we'll better believe. I guess we'll go to the temple. You know, he never does it that way. He says, look, guys, wake up. 
in this case, what are you doing? Prioritise, build my house. And if you do and you engage your hearts and make that sacrifice and bring the timber down from the hills and build, then watch what's going to happen. My glory is going to be seen. (sighs) And so he loves to work with us. And it's the same in the New Testament. It says the last words of the book of Mark when Jesus left and said the Lord worked with the disciples as they went and obeyed what Jesus commanded them to do. It's the same for us. We're not on our own and neither do we just sit complacently and say, oh, well, God, well, you know, I guess I'll just sort of see what you're doing and look on. And No, he wants us to be enthusiastically involved and engaged in his work, in prayer, in ministry, and of course in sacrificial giving, which of course relates to our time of this year when we're talking, you know, vision builders and, and giving and all that. But it's not just about paying for a building. Paying the mortgage. I'm hoping you can see through this and the application in our lives that there's a ministry for us all that's quite exciting because we're building into God's glory. We're connecting our hearts with God's purposes, yeah? Not just paying the bills or getting a rev up to make sure we have nice air conditioning or whatever, you know? This is part of... I mean, the buildings themselves don't matter. That temple didn't last itself, uh, you know, so God has seen buildings come and go over the years. In fact, you know, in China, uh, just last year, a, a building that has been built by the congregants alone, no government support. In fact, they've had government opposition. They had a building that seated thousands of people, 5,000 or so members in the church. And uh, the government have literally blown the building up and bulldozed it. Not, not rebels, you know, not extremists from another religion, the government. And they can't stop the church growing. So, you know, it'd be terribly upsetting, but the people just pick themselves up. The pastors get locked up. They disappear. Sometimes they never come back. Sometimes they come back after 10 or 20 years, but they can't stop the church. The church is having to get smaller, but it's getting stronger. They're now getting to the point where their house church meetings can't even have rows of chairs that look too obvious. They're just meeting in small groups in a circle so they can say it's just a Bible study. Sorry, it's just a, a living room gathering, having a cup of tea, and they just sort of hide the Bible that they've gathered around. Uh, but there's more and more of them. And so the church will always grow in whatever form it is. Now, of course, in our country, there's no reason not to have a building because it, it's useful. It's a great facility. Uh, and, and so we do what we can. But the heart issue is God's glory, is to connect God with people and the facilities are a means to an end, yeah? Uh, not an end in itself. And so, um, so the people shifted from focusing on themselves. They focused on God. They, they shifted from making their own house the main priority to prioritising God's house. They got back on track and God's getting the glory. They're getting the blessing and that's God's will for us too. Amen. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.